1: Hello, Lit Up listeners. Like all of you, we are so grateful for all the local independent bookstores that bring us incredible books, support writers, and host fantastic events and make reading such a pleasure. This week's episode is brought to you by one of my favorite bookstores on the planet, Books Are Magic, which is based in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn. We are so excited to have Aisha Davidson from the Books Are Magic team, Tell us about a book that lights her up. Aisha, take it away.
0: Hey, Lit Up. This is Aisha. I'm at Books or Magic, which is an indie bookstore. We're about five years old in Brooklyn. A book that I loved recently was Chuck Klosterman's The 90s. It is a survey of pretty much all of 90s culture, from films to books to reality TV to all the big news stories of the time. I love it it makes me feel super nostalgic reading it and it's such a laugh i'm recommending it to everyone
1: from sugar 23 i'm angela Ledgewood, and this is lit up our guest this week natasha sislow has been inspiring my life ever since i first heard about her story in 2020. I was lucky enough to read her book proposal when it was on submission to publishers, and I couldn't believe that what I was reading was true. I also knew I had to be part of telling this story as soon as I read it. We are also publishing this book at Sugar 23 Books in partnership with the Mariner imprint at HarperCollins. I absolutely love talking to Natasha and I have loved talking to her over the last two years about this story. I will remind you, it's a true story. She did go in search of her soulmate and you will hear uh, all the shenanigans behind the scenes in this interview. Welcome, Natasha. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) Hi, Angela. (laughs) So we have to explain why we're so giddy to be... You know, on the airwaves together, and it's because I was lucky enough to read Natasha's proposal for this book, All Signs Point to Paris, a couple of years ago, and along with Harper Collins, we are helping to publish this brilliant book. Natasha, let's rewind and go back to that process because so many listeners are also writers themselves, aspiring writers. And I feel like the publishing process is really difficult to understand. And I know you're still in the middle of that process with your book coming out. Two years ago, when you sold the book, what was happening in your life and how did it feel to be starting to share your story, even with a couple of people kind of in an inner circle?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. And I am still trying to understand this whole world. So I can only speak to What I went through, which was really magical and incredible and overwhelming and beautiful. When I came back from this trip that I took to Paris, somebody reached out to me that somebody has turned into my literary agent. And she had found me through like six degrees of separation. Somebody had shown her my Instagram. So it really kind of started through Instagram. You know, she had told me if you ever you know have it in you if you consider writing a book i think there is a story here and i was a writer in my 20s and i hadn't revisited that that dream that i had to continue in my 40s until really receiving that email from her and it took another 6 months to accept kind of that calling or challenge or, you know, and just try to start writing again and to face all my fears as, you know, a writer and all my doubts and to dive in. And when I started sharing it, I shared two chapters that I wrote over the pandemic. And Jen Marshall, my agent, said, you know, I think there's really a story here. And so I wrote a book proposal. The process was really fascinating, learning about what what a book proposal is breaking down a story into chapters and there's marketing and it's a whole like 150 page document that I learned all about quickly in six months and, and then taking it out. And at the end of, I guess it was the end of 2020 that she took it out to, um, you know, be seen in the world. And that was a very strange feeling taking meetings. And that's kind of what led me to you. So, and Michael Sugar and Sugar 23 and, you know, Mariner books and HarperCollins. And and then I had to write it. Step back in time so we can give people a real
1: context for this book. And the subtitle is A Memoir of Lost Love and Destiny. So maybe that's a great place to start. What was the very beginning of this story for you?
0: Yeah, it was really, yeah, it started from a place of love and loss, which come hand in hand, really, many times. And it was 2018, and I was at an all-time low in my life. I was divorced, um, single. I had just, you know, dissolved a company that was failing and filed for bankruptcy, and I was freshly heartbroken. And my beloved father had just been diagnosed with a terminal illness, and he had been given three months left to live. And so my very best friend in the world who sometimes I consider or I considered her a little bit out there, you know, she gifted me an astrology reading for my 44th birthday. And for the first time in my life, I said yes, because I was an I was a skeptic, I was a non-believer. But I decided to say yes that year at that moment in my life when I was really needing, I don't know, to maybe do something a little different, you know. And and that reading changed my whole life. I had a reading with an astrologer who, and in the first five minutes, she blew me away. I don't want to give too much away from what's in the book, but it was incredible. And by the end of the reading, I was a full-on believer. I mean, she knew about my father, my father getting ill and my history as a writer and just so many things in my life and just, I saw astrology in such a different way than I think I had kind of thrown into like kind of a stereotypical box in my head. And it led me on this magical journey to track down every man I could find born in Paris on November 2nd, 1968. That's kind of where the destiny part came in line with it, because she told me, she told me two things. She told me your point of destiny is to tell a story. And then when I asked her at the end of this reading about somebody that I just couldn't get over and I gave her his birth date. And she said that this man was in line with my point of destiny. And I asked her, what is the point of destiny? So there's a a teaching in astrology called the point of destiny, which is the highest expression of your being, where you receive the most support from your own higher self in the universe. And it's not a given like we typically think of destiny as a given, but a precious journey that if undertaken can produce the most sublime results. And so when she said that this man in my life, who was born on November 1968 in Paris, was in line with my point of destiny, I decided to go off and meet every other person on this planet that I could find who was also in line with that point of destiny.
1: Well, when we read the book, it's almost excruciating to learn that this man, Philippe, who had been so important to you, and you'd had a very you know, intense but beautiful relationship with. And I think we can all relate to loving someone so much and having been loved, but it still doesn't work. So there's that, you know, theme happening. And you've almost just gathered your strength again to try and move on. I mean, the, the scenes of you you know, getting back out there in quotes, you know, as you do after a heartbreak, you kind of have to go on those other dates, you know, and in L.A. specifically, you know, it's a very um interesting landscape. And, you know, what were some of the men like that you went on dates with? You know, there's the surfer who like legitimately <laughs> said gnarly, you know, and not just stereotype men because, you know, we don't want to do that. But can you just describe what it was like, you know, when you're getting dressed up again and you're like, oh. am I seriously doing this?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not easy to be. I was in my, you know, 40s and kind of felt a little knocked around by life and the world. And all of a sudden, you know, your heart is broken and you know you have to move on. And so you're trying desperately hard to go out and, and find love. And it's it can be comical, and it was. I have, you know, a lot of very fun stories of going out into the world of Los Angeles and being on dates. Yes, I that surfer, <laughs> I remember his nickname for me was the Endmeister. And I thought, I don't know if I can live with that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was lovely, though. It's not that... These guys weren't lovely. I'm sure they could have the same stories about me, by the way. You know, it's it's a two-way street and you have to find humor in it and you can't take it too seriously because it can be a little bit hard to just, you know, pick yourself up, get dressed up, go out, have a drink. You know, it's almost like a job interview. But we, I did meet a lot of people at that time that are still in my life to this day. I, you know, I, I like to keep... I like to meet people. I love getting to know new people. And I love like, even if it's not love, if it's just, or a moment of something to just, you know, appreciate each other and keep everybody, even the ones that, you know, make you laugh. You also
1: know when you have either that friend or you've been there yourself, you know, when people start to tell you that they cannot hear about that ex anymore, like,
0: oh yeah, you must not talk (laughs) about
1: them in my presence. And it's hard as the friend on the other side having to say, like, I actually can't. Be here for this conversation anymore. You have to go deal with it. You know, go talk to your hairdresser or something. Oh, yeah. What
0: was that like in this particular moment? I mean, I talked to anybody who would listen. My poor girlfriends and my sister, I think everybody was just done hearing about Philippe. So I was married for 10 years and with, you know, him for about 15. And I fell madly in love with this. French man named Philippe, who's in this book. And when we broke up, it was just so hard to move on. And I just couldn't stop telling everybody about it. Just everybody my hairdresser, my bartender, I mean, people at work, at home. And so that was definitely a challenge. And I think everybody just wanted me to, you know, to maybe move on. And I think that's why, you know, in the best way, you know, not. In the best way, because you can only ruminate on something for so long. And so then, of course, I write a whole memoir about him. (laughs) I mean, he's, I love Philippe. He's still in my life. He's such a wonderful person to have been so understanding. I'm still talking about him.
1: Yeah, I want to clarify with you. It's not, we're going to get to the, the crazy twist. So just hold on. But before we get there and, you know, Natasha's story gets incredibly Bold and wacky and bonkers in kind of the best way that we all wish we had the courage that that you did to kind of have an operating principle for your life for a while. But we'll get to that at the same time as you know being a mum to teenagers, feeling heartbroken and dating, you have a really, interesting glamorous career and something that you capture so well in the book is that that those parallel lives you can lead you know particularly in places like Los Angeles can you talk about your role at the agency and you know what life looks like in that arena as a as a career wise and as a big shift that you made and all those people come out so beautifully in the book. And Mm. I'd love to know just what that's meant to you.
0: Yeah, the agencies meant everything to me. I ended up shifting careers after I divorced. I, I was working in the fashion industry and I had to close down a business that was from the outside looking like a success, but from the inside really just making it very difficult to to survive. It was so I closed that down and I filed for bankruptcy and I really had to start from rock bottom career-wise. So I got my real estate license because I knew quite a bit about the real estate industry from my family being in that business. And I joined the agency which I didn't know it at the time, but it became my family and it is to this day. And some of that comes from the company culture there. And so, for those of you, or for you who might not know Angie, it's the agency is this very dynamic group of very high-end real estate agents in Los Angeles. We do, we do everything. It's not just high-end, but it's kind of, you know, what they're known for. And there's also reality TV shows. There's Million Dollar Listing. We've got agents there. We've got agents, you know, that are. Mauricio Umansky, who owns the company, he's on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills with his wife, Kyle. Um, There's a new agency show coming out called Buying Beverly Hills. So you walk into the office and there's cameras everywhere and everybody's dressed up and I'm like knocked down by life. Don't quite understand the industry yet. And I walked into this big, beautiful, you know, business and company and they just welcomed me with open arms. So when I ended up going on this journey and I thought, I don't want anybody at my office to know that I'm going on this crazy adventure to Paris to track down my soulmate because of an astrology reading. And yet they, all of a sudden when everybody found out, they were rooting me on and announcing it in the office, like, go Natasha, go. And I thought, well, this is interesting, you know, and they, um, they're they incredible. Well, let's
1: kind of segue there because this moment you have after you realize that Yes, Philippe was born on this day, and that's, you know, a strong point of destiny, date, time, and place for you. But wait a second. There are other people born in Paris, you know, on what's the date again? November 2nd, 1968. So, okay, what happens? You have this epiphany, and you're like, why don't I just find them? Can you tell us about... Yes, it became quite a phenomenon on Instagram, but just a little bit about those early days. And then I think that definitely links to this idea of sharing your vulnerability, sharing your story, sharing that hope for love, because what happens is this incredible domino effect of people wanting to
0: help. I was at such a rock bottom. My sister told me my father had two weeks left to live. And I'd been just told that, you know, this man that really was not so perfect for me was my point of destiny. And so I thought, I'm just going to meet every other man who was born on November 2nd, 1968. And I told my father, it was really one of the last conversations I had with him. And he said to me, "Um, I'll meet you there. And it was truly one of the kindest things that he ever said, because he, 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 gifted me a reason to pick myself back up after he passed away because I knew that I had made a promise to my father to go to Paris to meet his spirit or his ghost. Anyway, so when I Did start in earnest searching for this person. I thought it was going to be as easy as looking it up on Facebook. Like, honestly, I didn't think it was going to become this adventure that it did. I thought, I'll just Google it. There's no privacy anymore, anyways. Like, I'm going to find everybody that has this birthday and then I'm going to track them down, message them, and I'm going to find my person, you know? And it was not that easy at all. I did everything I could think of under the sun. I did targeted and I created. An Instagram, just so I could do targeted advertising in Paris and in other places, but mostly in Paris. I went onto Facebook and I did the same thing. I made t-shirts. I wore them all around town. I thought if somebody might know somebody who has this birthday, (laughs) November 2nd, 1968, Paris birthdays. And by the way, I did meet people through this. Um, A friend of mine at the agency, um, the head of creative at the agency made me these posters and they said, I have one in here. It says, were you born on November 2nd, 1968 in Paris? Come find me. It's our destiny with my Instagram handle. And then when I was posting on Instagram looking, I found this beautiful woman in Paris who said, can I put those up all over the city for you? So I had people on the ground in Paris putting up posters. (laughs) I went on live radio. Like I just, I kind of I tried to keep it real quiet at first, but then once my kids found out and my ex found out and my work found out, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. Like, this is something that I believe in. And everything else that this astrologer had told me had been so spot on. I think there's some kind of real magic that happens when you say out loud, really, what you what you're asking for, what you want, who you are. I mean, you can say it, it's been said in so many different ways, right? Like speak your truth or, or just have a voice. And I think for so many years in my own life, I hadn't done that because I was so afraid of failing again, because in my mind, I had failed at my marriage. I had failed at past careers. I had failed at, and I used the word, I didn't know I was using the word failed, but I really kind of was internalizing that. And when I realized that I, those weren't failures, that was just part of life. And there really isn't such a thing as a failure. I think everything shifted. And then when I spoke out loud and, and somebody once told me the words you speak are magic. And I think it's true. If you can say out loud and you have the courage to, to say out loud what you want for in life, it, it changes everything. And it did for me. And then you have to, you know, be ready for when the answers come in and the answers might not be the answers that you were expecting too. So
1: so it's almost like you summon the courage to take these big leaps and share, you know, what you're trying to find and who you're trying to find with people. What was that process like? Like you start a Tinder, a Bumble, what kind of messages were coming through? And this is also beautifully detailed in the book and we'll leave the explicit ones for, yeah, you know, yeah, in yeah. the book. Because okay. They're fun to read about. And what was the 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 filtering process that you went through? Because it must have been quite overwhelming.
0: It actually, yeah, it was. It was definitely overwhelming. I created a a Tinder passport profile while I was here in Los Angeles. Later when I was in Paris, I did it on Bumble as well, but they didn't have that passport service then, but Tinder did. So I took some photos with my girlfriend and I put under in my bio. If you were born on November 2nd, 1968, in Paris, swipe right. Everybody else, swipe left, with maybe a a quote from Oscar Wilde underneath it or something. And Mm -hmm. I think we were all of us in the gutter, but some of us are looking at the stars. So I swiped right on everybody who was 50, because that would make them born in 1968 in that year. And from there on out, I just kind of, you know, was trying to. The first message was, are you, you know, is your birthday really November 2nd, 1968? No, yes, this and that. Most of them were no's at first. Clearly, they weren't reading my profile very carefully. But I met, I mean, there there were a lot of really, really funny people that I met this way. But I met a lot of really incredible men at that time who actually rooted me on and said, you know, faith is faith. Keep going. I love what you're doing. And I thought, really? Dating apps are a tricky thing. And I had so many lists of what I thought, you know, I wanted my perfect match to be. And and this was the only qualification this person had to have was born in November 2nd, 1968. I went through thousands and thousands and thousands of people. I mean, I was up all night doing this, up all day. I mean, I was sneaking in between work in my car while I was waiting. It was kind of exhausting, but it was kind of fun and I was using Google Translate, going back and forth because I don't speak French. And <laughs> um it was a bit of a mess, but it was like a really fun mess. And it lifted me out of the grief that I was in because my father had recently passed away and I was still trying to, you know, kind of heal my heart from my breakup and all these things that had happened. And
1: I think some of the most my favorite passages in the book and the ones that just deeply touched me are when you're talking about your relationship with your dad and this incredible family dynamic that that your family had, talking around his his last weeks of life, also some of the funniest parts. I mean, there's the scene yeah. where it's a family gathering and your mum has kind of extricated herself because, you know, I think it was you can tell us just too much to even comprehend this man wouldn't be here but he had wanted to talk about potentially you know a humane way to go more consciously but yeah what was it about the sislows that Mm. the magic it seems of your family was finding the light in those darkest moments in particular a humor Like there are moments where laughter just breaks through in these absurd moments that are living. Is there something now on reflection that you're like, that's what we did so well?
0: Yeah, we did do that so well. And I don't know where it came from. I mean, maybe growing up, my mom is from Scotland and I remember we would, They would love watching Monty Python and the Holy Grail or this kind of always look on the bright side of life kind of humor where something really dark was happening, but then there was so much light. And I think I got that sense of humor um, from my dad, which really served us well in the last moments of his life because he did call... A family gathering to discuss. He wanted to do something called dignity in dying, or possibly explore it. He had two weeks left to live. He was in hospice. He had pulmonary fibrosis, which is a very difficult disease to, at the very end, to die from. And he was trying to figure out what to do. And of course, you know, he wants to make a to-do, a, a pros and cons list, and my sister and I are trying to figure out his, he wants to listen to a certain song, we can't agree on what song, he really wanted to play Bette Midler, which, I I mean, I love Bette Midler, everybody does, but we were like, but, but we never listened to his dad, have, but he's a Frank Sinatra guy, like we couldn't figure out, and so we found kind of these moments of humor in that, but then he started crying, and my parents were married, um, I think 57 years, and... And my mom wasn't there in that meeting because I don't think she could, she could, she, it was just too much. And he started crying and that's why my sister said, you know, lighten it up. And I was always kind of that person in our family, I'm the youngest, that that lightened things up. I think every family has that, you know, you take your role and I, I've always been comic relief. And it's hard to lighten up someone's, you know, on their deathbed trying to to help them feel better. And when I told him, that I was going to track down my soulmate based on an astrology reading, it worked. And, but I think that finding joy and finding humor and finding a little bit of light in all the darkness is really kind of what, what he gifted me in this lifetime and kind of why I started writing this as well during the pandemic when, when it was kind of a dark time in my own life and in everybody else's as well. And I was just trying to, find that magic that I found in this year and put it down on the page because it's a gift to be lifted out of the dark and sometimes you can't see your way out and then one star just kind of pops and you can see a little bit and you can see a little bit further and it changes everything.
1: That's another really important thread throughout the book, this this incredible closeness and support you have. But like you mentioned, we all have our roles within a family. Mm-hmm. And you know, I hope this isn't a spoiler. I think this is okay to say that obviously you go to Paris and your best friend um, comes along and your sister. So you have this incredible support with you. How are you and your sister doing now? <laughs> and how does she feel about this? You know, she's involved in this story too. It's yeah. it's coming to light.
0: Well, my sister, she's my older sister by three and a half years. We're complete opposites. To everybody that knows us, it's hard to even believe that we're sisters when people learn about it. They're like, wait a minute, it doesn't make sense. Physically, we look different. Our personalities, she's very cautious, very, I mean, controlling is not a nice way for me to put it, but I always felt like that as a little sister that she was trying to control me. And, you know, I'm always jumping into the deep end and she's always rescuing me. And but we're very close, but we're very, very different. And so when we went to Paris, she was so amazing to to cheer me on and to go on this journey with me. But it didn't come without a lot of struggles because we are so different. It was a trip to find my soulmate, but it was also a trip for us that we had promised my father that we would take together. And so our relationship changed a lot and then even more so over the writing of the memoir because I wanted to make sure, first of all, I wanted to remember everything accurately so when I wrote this I documented everything because I was posting so much on social media and or things that I just took pictures of or I was writing on the side but I also asked my friends I reached out to friends in Paris I I kind of went through everything and I asked my sister you know my sister and I ended up in a google doc together kind of going over you know our last moments with our father together on the streets in Paris together journey. It brought us much closer. I mean, she is a very private and quiet person. I think she's got like six followers on Instagram now. And I said, you know, are you okay with me writing a book, you know, and sharing all of this? And, I think she is. I think she's probably going to she says she's going to come to all my book signings, but she's going to be hiding under the table. Like that's who she is. You know, she'll always be there to support me, but I think she's a little bit worried too because that's that's how she balances me. And, you know, the writing of this story has turned my wounds into scars, but I think it's also helped her as well to kind of go through the grief process and to kind of put a few things to bed in our own relationship that we had never talked about before.
1: It's almost like you have to really clarify things with all those people before you publish a book that includes them. So there is a sense of, I don't know, whether it's renegotiating the relationship, but it's certainly deciding that certain things were true. you know, coming to agreements about the truth or yeah. the how subjective that is. And I'm sure those conversations only, like you said, bring you closer.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's not easy, but it's... If not hard work. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like, really, sense. really hard work. Yeah, But I think that our relationship is much stronger for it. For sure. For sure.
1: There's also a moment in Paris where I love what she brings to the situation. And it's that you're going on these dates and you're frustrated because they're not, there hasn't been chemistry, you know, and there's not the right one. You haven't met him and the days are ticking by. And I feel like we can all extrapolate this to our own lives where we have a certain goal in mind and it's not going right and you're pissed off, you know, and frustrated and yet you're in Paris with, you know, Two people that love you most. Yes. That you find the funniest humans ever. And there's a moment where she's like, there is another reason why we're here. It's to be together, you know, and honor our dad. But also, look up. Look out. We're in Paris together yeah. as sisters. And I think you know, as I read that, it just felt like something to hold on to, you know, we can get so tunnel vision. And I think the beauty of your book is it's so great to have goals, but you have to be flexible enough to see the beauty along the way and have, have it change.
0: Yeah, no, it's an important reminder to be present. Who are you with? Like what, look up. And yeah, I did get caught up in my own world too much. And she kind of pulled me out of that. And it's a good reminder to this day, every day of my life, either I'm thinking about the past or the future, but it's just be here in this moment and be grateful for this moment.
1: Okay. Well, now we want to get to the juicy parts and again, not get too much away, but can you tell us about some of the best dates you had in Paris, whether that's because you discovered a little wine bar that you couldn't have imagined existed Mm, or... mm. You know, it was an adventure, you know, so these men were, like you said, so interesting and kind, but they were, it was a, a motley crew, which is what you happens when you're dating in this, in this world.
0: Yes, yes. Paint um, some scenes for us. Paint some scenes. There was a beautiful meeting, at, I think it's called Little Red Door, this hidden, beautiful, chic cocktail bar in the Marais. And... Everything about this scene was perfect. My girlfriends were sitting across the table from me, and this man who was born on November 2nd, 1968, walks through the door, and he was so charming and so kind, and he pulls out his birth certificate to show me. And one of the things that my father said the last thing, he said, just make sure you check ID. And that he had this crumpled old like sepia colored paper that was like torn at the edges and he passes it to me and his English was terrible and my French is non-existent. And that we kind of just had this moment of what are we doing? But it was so cool. And he said to me, somehow we managed to figure this out, but he said, you know, I felt like when I saw you that you just, you found me we're still in touch to this day. I don't know. There were so many great things that happened in Paris. And I mean, there was a swoon worthy kiss, which I can't speak too much of, but that was definitely like out of, out of a movie. Well, and I know we can't say
1: too much, but for listeners, there is a movie in the works. So just the, we'll plant the dot, dot, dot for that. Okay. You know, these lists that we often have of like, especially when you're single, you know, and even I feel like a therapist is like, write down exactly what you're looking for. And, you know, m- you know, everyone talks about manifesting and all this stuff. Having been through this experience and having had really successful relationships, you know, for a long time, how do you think that that list may have changed
0: now? Oh yeah, that list has changed big time. I had that list and I would put all these wishes into this little blue jar I had. You know, when you're writing it, it's sometimes before bed, sometimes you're angry, sometimes you're giddy. So it was like, you know, uh, Django partner for life or amazing sex. Or somebody who will love my children or support my dreams. Some of them were great and some of them were just absurd, like must love pizza in bed, like will eat pizza in bed with me. I mean, does that matter? Probably not so much, but, um, and now, of course, it has changed. All those things are fun and important to me and I can find them in all these different wonderful people in my life, but I think, I don't think there's a list as much as a, a, connection. And I believe in past lives and a promise that promises that are made from lifetimes ago. And I think it's more about the real true magic that you feel when you're with somebody that you just know is your person.
1: That's interesting what you say about past lives. Can you talk a bit more about that? And when you started to learn more about what
0: that would mean? You know, I never thought about it, and I actually would probably joke about anybody ever talking about it until I had that first reading with Stephanie, and she said that there were spirits all around in my house, and they probably don't have bodies, but they're in my living room, and I thought, oh my God, I was looking around my living room like, what, who am I talking to? This is Nutty, and Could she be right? And then when my father passed... It was a very different experience than I thought it was going to be. And I really felt his spirit and I felt his spirit kind of separate from his body. And I became somebody who never believed in spirituality or religion or anything to somebody who all of a sudden became open to the unknown. And I mean, since then, even talking to my astrologer, like you talk about past lives. And to me, it just makes sense that I just believe that death is something that happens to our bodies, but not to our spirit. And I just feel like, you know, in those moments in life when you feel like you've known someone from before, I think that we have, you know, so I have all these, you know, and by the way, I don't, I don't know anything. I just have, you know, I'm not here to try to say, to prove, I didn't even write this book to like prove astrology is real or not real. That's not the point. It's just that it's helped me be more open to the love and the kindness and being a better person and, and just seeing the world a little differently. So, and part of that is the belief in past lives. And I know that my astrologer believes in that and it just, I don't know, just makes sense to me, Angie. <laughs> All we have is our intuition. I'm right? talking to the spirits in my living room. Before I signed on with you, I said, you know, Any of the bad ones, please go. Any of the good ones, like, come on in. Let's do this. You know, and I invite my father in. I wear his ashes around my neck still. And I just, you know, I believe in it.
1: I think it's beautiful. And the book is also structured in a way that we learn about the houses, you know, the astrological houses that are a framework for that system. And I love how along the way know whether you know, know too much about astrology or not, it's a great way to like just think about what that framework can mean to us if if we want it to. I'm just really interested in the moment about ways and rituals and habits that that frame our days or our lives. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that that special people who do have a big capacity for doing good in the world have have these frameworks whether right. it's a religious framework a spiritual framework what is it that you do in your life to come back to that like essence of natasha but just tap into those say spirits or your dad's energy
0: yeah and you know I never did this before and this was new for me. I've never meditated. I have ADHD and I have a really hard time sitting still. So in the mornings I I learned kind of some meditation practices. My friend Nicole kind of taught me some of them and and basically I take a moment in the morning to practice gratitude you know, taking at least like five to 10 minutes to just whether it's journaling or whether it's closing my eyes and just feeling a deep gratitude for everything I have in my life. And then I do talk to the spirits. I put that in quotes because who knows, but that's what I call them in my house. And I always try to, you know, call in anything that can serve the highest and best for me and for those around me today or to serve, you know, it's kind of like affirmations. So it's not even, maybe I'm just talking to myself and the voices in my head, but it's just trying to call in positivity, love, kindness, goodwill, and just setting an intention for how I want to move through the day. Well, I'm a mover because I do have like a really hard time sitting still. So I try to go on these, you know, long hikes, you know, at least four or five times a week. And I'm just like in the hills, whether it's here in LA, you know, up by the Nike tower or, you know, outside of LA, but that's how I kind of recenter myself. If I'm around trees and nature, I mean, my idea of like a dream day is just getting in my car and driving to like the Sequoias or Big Sur or just, you know, connecting to, I think, my higher self, which is connected through nature and trees. I have to get out of LA once in a while. What lights you up? Oh, what lights me up? From the littlest thing of seeing somebody, I don't know, on the 405, letting somebody in, talking to somebody outside, maybe a senior citizen who just needs to have, you know, a conversation or a check-in with somebody. Just all these all these small acts of love that we see and are so easy to replicate. It's so easy to be kind to people. I mean, that lights me up big time. And then to, I mean, go back to what we are talking about before, I think for me, this like is kind of off topic, but it really lights me up just getting in a car and not having a destination and just going for some reason, just the adventure ahead, the unknown. And that just, I don't know, it feeds my soul whenever I can do it, which is not very often, but it lights me up.
1: Oh, how brilliant. Well, everyone, Natasha's book, All Signs Point to Paris. A Memoir of Love, Loss, and Destiny is out now. It's the most beautiful adventure. And I'm just so privileged to have been along this part of the journey with you and to see how it A, you know, affects your life, but how this book will push us all to... It doesn't have to be finding our point of destiny or our person, but I think the courage that's embedded in your book we can take and push our own dream forward, whatever that is. Thank you for sharing this story.
0: Oh, I love that, Angie. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast and just for being my friend.
1: (laughs) My pleasure. What a joy. I mean, if anyone's listening, like who doesn't want Natasha as your friend?
0: Wow. (laughs) Uh, You're so cute.
1: Lit Up is a podcast from Sugar Twenty Three. It's hosted by me, Angela Ledgewood, and is produced by Liam Billingham. Olivia Olmer is the marketing and editorial consultant. Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. Andre Rudovsky wrote the amazing theme music. See you in two weeks.